The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy, the Terror Underwood. All right, so we're going to jump right into the call again from Keith Jesperson. Here we go. All right, welcome back, Keith. All right. Wow. So let's pick up where we left off. We were talking about your home life as you were growing up. Right. Yeah, well, you know, I only have uh, time for one more call here, and that's it. Oh, okay. That's fine. That's fine. count. I mean, I'll yeah. be, they'll count me at 1030 or so. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, my question then, so your dad wasn't very physically abusive with you because, I mean, Scott and I talk about there's a difference between discipline and abuse. You know, and back then it was acceptable for us to be spanked with a belt. I mean. Well, I lived in a working environment. My right. father felt that we, us kids, had to contribute to the household. So my father had a uh, punch press machine shop next to the house. Okay. And when we came home from school, that was our that was us boys' job, was to punch out these W-shaped clips to hold a string in the ground for the hot plant. Okay. And we would punch out 22 million of those damn things every year. <laughs> our schoolwork was supposed to be done after we got done working or at school. Right. So we we just kind of pushed on through. So on weekends, that's what we did. Well, when we had steel to run, we worked. Now, at the same time, my father took us camping, horseback. I, I had a horse. I was in 4-H. Okay. I had my own horse in 4-H. I did uh, parades. I, I was uh, we were, uh, red hot. I was in the uh, Red Hot Riders 4-H club out of Sheila, Washington. That sounds like a porn and name. I was just going to say, it sounds like a porn name. I had a registered quarter horse. I had a registered quarter horse that I, uh, that I showed at the fair. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, we were kind of caught up in this. We did trail rides. All we right. went hunting. We did deer hunting, elk hunting, that okay. kind of thing. You know, and, and uh, but there were times my father was, was you know, sarcastic and, and uh, you know, I remember, like, when I got caught shoplifting, right? Okay. He comes home, and I, 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 you know, I admit to my dad I got caught shoplifting. So what does he do? He takes me down to the uh, Meads Thriftway in Seattle, Washington, and he introduced me to the owner of the of the, of the place, uh-huh. and he has the owner give me a job for the next couple of weeks picking up trash in the back alleyway to so pay for what school, you stole. Well, well, to as teach a, me a lesson, yeah, teach to teach you a lesson, lesson. yeah, because I'll and never, so I, yeah, yeah. I so mean, I and that's up what trash they, for two weeks. I was gonna say that's then, what they did back then. Yeah, but when I got home. See, I, I'd come home, it'd be a mile and a half, two miles to my house, and I'd run home. And I'd get home, and I'd get in the kitchen table, and my dad would say, how's my little thief doing today? Okay. You know, and he, he, he would let it go. Now, I found out later that my, the real thief in the family was my dad. Oh, well, there you go. You know, he was the one, he was the real one. I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't taking candy bars or anything, but he was basically, uh, he was a businessman, but a very... Uh, he, he followed very tight lines to not being legal or credible. Oh, right? gotcha. So, so he played so he loose and right fast the with the rules. <laughs> well, the rules only apply to somebody else, not him. Right. right. Oh, no, I get that. Yeah. I get that. And so, so I was working on a job running a backhoe for him 
mm-hmm. and I was digging a trench, okay, but I didn't start digging the trench. My dad got on the backhoe before me and actually stuck his backhoe bucket through the side of the house that he was trying to dig up next to. <laughs> well, when he, he got off the backhoe, walked over to his people that own the house and told them that, I'm sorry, but my son put the bucket through the side of your house. I'll have to get the insurance company to take care of this. And oh. so I had to take the heat. I had to be the one responsible for tearing into the house with the backhoe. Wow. Because my dad is the boss, and he's always right. Oh, right? oh yeah. I, You know what? I, okay. I hear you chirping on that one, too, Big Bird. <laughs> yeah, my dad was the same way with so, his business. Because I grew up on an active dairy farm, and that's exactly what our life was like. Um, well, I, I, I milk cows. Yeah. I had a job. I helped a friend of mine with a couple of dairies there for a while there. I did 90, 90 head of cows in the morning, and I went to another one and did 110 in the afternoon. Just, yeah. for, just let the farmer have some rest. I was going to say, because I remember growing up in elementary school, I woke up before the butt crack of dawn, went down and did barn chores, didn't have time to shower, go to school, just to come back home and do more chores before I could squeeze in my homework right before bed. So I get what well, you're this, saying. Yeah, and I wasn't getting paid for this, right? Yeah. I did this because I was a friend of the farmers, right? Uh-huh. I said, I'll help you. I'll help you guys get some sleep because I know how it is. Right. And I would just See. go down in the morning. I'd do 90 head. I mean, they had automatic milking machines and stuff like that. But it was, it was still, I had to run the cows oh, in. No. Yeah, no, I so get the, it. The cows were waiting. The cows were waiting for me when I got there, right? Right, but there's still they some stragglers down in the past, right? Be milk. Yeah, yeah of course they milk. do. Um, so, yeah. So, so that I, I did. I did my my fair duty of that, and my father, whenever he, he taught me a lesson, he said, "That's another five dollars you owe me." <laughs> oh well, there you go. You know. Yeah. So then, let's get back to this. Then is that. Um, now I heard somewhere that your dad encouraged your brothers to go on to college, but he told you, you weren't smart enough to. Well, he said I wasn't, he didn't have the money for it. Oh, okay. He he said, now my, my brother, my sister, Sharon actually had gotten, you know, I could, I could, you know, there's a story about the RCMP. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that I wanted to be an RCMP. Mm-hmm. And, and what had happened was that my sister Sharon had gotten married, right? Uh-huh. She, she had to get married. This is, she got pregnant and she had to. I didn't know that until years later. But right. anyway, when all the family showed up for the wedding, my uncle is a Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officer, one uh-huh. of the highest ranked ones in Canada. I asked him about the force and he said, I'll send you a packet, right? Uh-huh. A recruitment packet. So he did. I was 14 years old. I get this recruitment packet, and I look it over. I have to learn French, and I have to do, you know, I have to meet certain requirements and so forth. And I thought about it. I actually thought about it for a year or so. But then I got into running heavy equipment, so it kind of like threw it off in the wayside. But after I was arrested, my father jumped all over this and said, well, he wanted to be an RCMP officer. But because he was injured, he couldn't become an RCMP officer. Well, the in- injury I had was from high school, right. where I was climbing the rope in the gym, and I got out of the ceiling, the rope pulled out of the ceiling, and I dropped to the floor, and I went through three operations on my left leg to fix the damn thing. Right. 
and that's why I was not, you know, that's why I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't pass, I couldn't go in the army if I wanted to because my leg right. wouldn't let me do that. But right. that's where the RCMP story came in on that. So you had already decided not to join the RCMP. Yeah, I mean that's that's where that came from. Is that, okay. That he wanted me to be an RCMP. Now back to the college thing. Uh-huh. I actually applied at Northwestern there in Bellingham. I had applied to it under hopefully a wrestling scholarship because I was a wrestler in high school. Right. But because of my injury, I couldn't wrestle anymore, so I couldn't do that. But my father said that uh, he wanted me to run the backhoe and dump truck business for him. That's where our money was coming in at the time for everyone else to go to college. Okay. So my sister got married, and then, of course, my brother Bruce in 19... He graduated in 71. He went over to Washington where the Huskies are, and he went to college there as a computer programmer, which my son probably at age 11 at a later time probably knew more about it than he did. Yeah. I was going to say... The University of Washington's Brad, where Ted Budding went to school, but hey. <laughs> so my brother Brad mm-hmm. went to the same college, and he's a public accountant, right? He has a certified public accountant, oh. and that's what he does for a living now. He has, he runs several people in the crew, and that's and he's out of Seattle, Washington. Oh, okay. And then I have my my sister Jill went to uh, Phoenix, went to Phoenix College there in Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. But they all went to college. I didn't go to college. And I was pretty much, I was told there was no money for it, but at the same time, uh, he wanted me to run this. And so I was, I was running the family business while everyone else was going to college. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, wow. You have a lot of siblings. Dang, dude. (laughs) So it's our, and you said Bruce is now a computer programmer. Is that what you said? No, Bruce. Bruce went to college to be a computer. Oh, programmer. okay. Okay. He works now for uh, an Apple. I think he works for Washington Fruit in Yakima. Oh well, there you go. You know, he does. You know, he did. He he, he changed. He, he probably uses what he learned in college, but for okay. the most part, there he he probably works at Washington Fruit or or something like that in, in Yakima, Washington. Okay. Okay, that, that makes sense. I did work for a while at, at, at Larson Fruit Company. I used to work, I, one of the first jobs I had out of out of high school was Larson Fruit Company, making apple bins. And then my father ended up redesigning one of their buildings for Larson Fruit Company. And my brother Bruce worked there. I mean, we all kind of like changed jobs and kind of moved right along with the same jobs everywhere we went. Right. Okay. Yeah. Th- no, that makes, I mean, like I said, it my makes father sense. Had, my father had the idea, my father's idea of, of following his kids around was, he would, he would, like, in trucking, he wanted to go trucking with me for a week, and he found out that it's one of those jobs he didn't want to have to do. So he right. was trying to talk my boss into firing me because he didn't want me to be a truck driver. Right. Because he couldn't do it. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> No, I, I yeah. mean, I get it. I under, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I come from a family of truck drivers and military people, so I understand. Yeah. Um, so my question, my next question is, is, let's go back to that injury you had in high school, right? Yeah. You said yeah. you broke your leg? I actually tore all the ligaments in my leg. Oh, okay. The way, but, the way this thing happened was that I was in wrestling practice, right? and at the end of the practice, we all climbed the rope. Now, right. they just installed a new rope. So I went over the new rope, which goes all the way to the ceiling, went all the way to the beam. 
Well, I, I pulled hand over hand. I went right up to the top of the beam, and I slapped the beam. Went on hand, slapped the beam. Now, the guy below me was Ted Trepanier, and he was grabbing the rope, and he was pulling on it. Well, now that's now that we all of a sudden there's 400 pounds on this thing pulling on this rope. Well, what we didn't know is that the janitor that had just installed this rope had installed it improperly. It was a two-inch rope in a two-and-a-half-inch bracket. And to make up the difference for the thickness of the rope, the, the damn janitor used electrical tape and wrapped up the, the end of the rope with electrical tape. So when he clamped on the rope, it was just clamped on the tape, and then just all that weight pulled the damn rope right out, out of the tape. See, the problem well, is I dropped, the, I dropped the 25 or so feet to the floor, and there's a hardwood floor. Uh-huh. I hit the floor. I bounced, They say I bounced three feet back up. I'm not sure I was out. Knocked my ass out. I was going to say, didn't you hit your head? I did. Okay. And, and I hit everything else. About. I was sore. And then right. my, my coach comes over, and he looks down at me, and he says, you're not hurt. You know, and I said, they didn't call an ambulance. They didn't call anybody. They said, get on your feet. I said, I can't. My leg's fucked up, right? So right. I hop, they get a couple guys on me, and they hop me to the dressing room. The coach didn't want to drive me to the hospital because, hey, I have all sweaty, and he didn't want me in his car. So he had me get into the shower, take the wrestling clothes off, get in the shower, get back into my civvy clothes. Then he, then he allowed me to get in his car. He drives me over to the doctor's office, which is closed, and he leaves me on the doorstep of the doctor's office that's closed and says, my mother has been called, and she will drive you to the hospital. Oh, well. And so my mother shows up, and she drives me to the emergency off of Titan there at, at Memorial Hospital in, in, in Yakima. Uh-huh. And I go through this, and then a school doctor shows up there, and he looks at everything. He says, oh, you just got a bad sprain. Well... For about four months, he, he just keeps diagnosing me having a bad sprain. And then all of a sudden, he just cuts me loose. He said, I have nothing more to do with you, right? And I find out later why. It's because back then, the way the law reads, anyone injured in, in a government institution had only 126 days to file a lawsuit after injury. Ah. So all of a sudden now that I'm past 126 days, they, he drops me, and now I, I go to a lawyer, Ted Roy and Associates, by the way. Same, aso- same lawyer, Roy, huh? <laughs> same lawyer. Ted Roy takes the case all the way to the Supreme Court, and they rule in my favor, and actually change the laws of the land, whereas, and the way the law has changed is that a, a government official used to be a government official would get on your land your on your on your on a civilian's property and let's say trip over a roller skate he would have seven years to sue you whereas a as a civilian that gets injured like myself in a government which is like school i only had 126 days well the supreme court ruled that it should be equal under the law under the 14th amendment and if it was changed to both sides had seven years to file a lawsuit now, they quickly, the insurance company quickly settled with me for $50,000, and I had to find, sign a non-disclosure, not to, so no one would, I couldn't go to the press and say, we just had this major right. change in the law, mm-hmm. and they would have had a whole bunch of people filing lawsuits that were told 126 days was it. Right, right. So they had, so they had a non-disclosure, and I got $50,000 tax-free, and then, of course, my lawyer took a third, and... And I ended up with like thirty-two-five, and then my dad took all of that and put it into a mobile home park. 
Okay. So, so I had to, I got a job out of it, but I got the money eventually later, only mm. that we put in an extra 46 lots in the mobile home park, and I became the manager of the Silver Spur Mobile Home Park out of Seal, Washington in 1976. Okay. So one yeah. question that I posed to Keith uh, when we were talking about the injury at high school, though, right, exactly. was with that fall, and I think I got Keith thinking about that, was that... You and know, the lack of medical attention. Well, it, he was knocked out, and right. you and I have gone over cases before where uh, a TBI is a, is a factor uh, with totally. tra- traumatic brain injury. Right. And that's one thing I wanted to, to kind of give our listening audience as well, is that uh, for those of you that don't know, if you damage the frontal or prefrontal cortex of your brain right that's responsible for impulse control true and it sounds to me like there was some impulse control going on here uh issues right and, uh i just wanted the, to put that well, out there and, and with that too let's let's clarify that even with a tbi and impulse control it's not like it's a constant impulse control issue it's right. like when something's triggered you know, yeah. You Give don't necessarily, too, yeah. yeah. You don't necessarily have the thought process to think it through first. So, um, yeah, but I still have a, I still have a good memory. Oh no, no, we, no, kidding, you dude, do. I am not. Yeah. I can't even remember half the people I went to school with. And you're like rolling off first and last names. I'm like, how does he do this? He remembers every damn truck everything. he drove, the transmission, the gear ratio, the, everything. What I air pressure was in the tires? Shoot. I can't remember the truck I drove yesterday. <laughs> and I drive it every day. <laughs> Weren't you in that Kenworth sleeper? <laughs> no, I think I was in a, I think I was in a, yeah, I was, I was in the Freightliner, I think. Oh, yeah. Freightliner sleeper, excuse me. But, um, no, it's just like, no, I, I, I'm just amazed by your your memory recall and stuff and it's not like you can just pull names out of the air because we can always verify these it's not like you're going to sit there and yes, you know that's, that's that's just the problem is everything is be verified yeah and i can point you in the right direction to where that thing where, Dude, where and, you can find that i was gonna say and you're telling me hey get it from here you know so yeah that, that lends more credibility to your story because you're saying, you know what, this is what happened, and you can verify it through these people, you know. So yeah, well, this is, you know, the, the frontal air part of my brain there. I don't know what exactly it did to me or whatever, but uh, it did happen. It, it is documented. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, I tried to join the army uh, years later, uh-huh. and I couldn't join because I I had sued the government and won. Oh, okay. Because I had filed a lawsuit for an injury. Right. Because it was on file that I have a a, a percentage of like a 35% disabled injury, even though I'm not on Social Security. Right. Yeah. Right. They're having their cake and eat it, too. Okay. Yeah, I can file it, but I can't, I can't, I can't win. Only in a case of war can I go to, will they allow me to go join the Army, which... Now I'm 67 years old. That's kind of like out of the question. And in prison. Doing yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> That's a contributing not, factor there. You know what? It's, yeah, like, it's not the fact that you're 60 some. Let's, you know, it's maybe it's because yeah. I'm in prison. No. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Might be because I'm in prison. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, I can, maybe I can sign up as a volunteer to go fight in Ukraine. Uh, you know what? You might be able to. You would scare the <laughs> shit out of him. I got to admit, man. Give me a weapon here. You know, I, might I, was forget, say, I might forget who to shoot first. I was going to say, he is like, him and my son are about the same height, but he would like make my son look tiny. That you is know? true. And honestly, I didn't realize how 
uh, tall and how broad Keith is. Until you met him. Uh, until after him and I were done talking and we were you know, shaking hands and getting ready to go and he stands up. I keep on looking up and kept looking up. I'm all, wow. <laughs> you, you ran into a sequoia. <laughs> I did, man. I did. But it, was, it was still a good visit. I can't wait to come back out there and, and see you again, to be honest. I'm just trying to find that time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, blah, blah, blah. I got tongue-tied here for a second. Okay. No. Um, so with all this comes down, let's. I want to circle back because we talk in big circles. I want to circle back to the fact that you said that you never raped any of your victims and you didn't have sex with them, correct? That's right, and I've taken polygraph tests to prove it. Okay. No, I mean, and that's what I wanted to get at because there was, and I can't remember exactly what it was called, but I watched another docu-series that said, you know, the the girl that you um, picked up, I think, in Wyoming. Was it Wyoming? That you picked her up in know. Wyoming and you were going to take her to, like, Indiana or something like that? Florida, I think. Well, you, you mean you... I picked up, I picked up in, 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 in Spokane. I was going to take her to Fort Collins. Okay, Colorado. yeah. And then... The one I dragged under my truck. Right, exactly. Miles. That That's... They said that with that victim, you had her in, you know, you picked her up and you were going somewhere and um, she changed your mind and wanted to go somewhere else and got mad because you weren't going fast enough or whatever, getting her there fast enough and that you had already raped her a couple of times and you got mad when you stopped at a truck stop. And so so, you, so there, if, I, if I had had done that to her a couple of times, why would she want to continue to go forward? See, with and that's what I was going to say, is that you had stopped at a truck stop and warned so her January, to stay okay, in the truck. On, yeah, and, but on January 12th, uh-huh. 1996, the Wyoming police were here in, in Clark County, and they gave me a polygraph test asking that very question, okay. which I said I did not. Okay. And, did, and I was telling the truth, and I... And the polygrapher came from Portland, from the university that teaches polygraphy. Okay. And he has said that Jesperson is telling you the truth, and they were pissed off because I wasn't uh, a, a rapist. You weren't violent enough for In them. The <laughs> I wasn't what they, they wanted more. Right. They right. wanted to make a case, and they couldn't. The key right. thing to point I told out though them is that the truth. No, this is this is the, the way it was. I picked her up at the Rick Pass Hotel, and we spent the night, and I had sex with her that night. And then in the morning, I gave her an address on how to contact me through the through the phone surface for systems. Uh-huh. And I left for I left for Denver, Colorado, and she calls me and wants to get back in the truck with me and give and have me give her a ride to Fort Collins, Colorado, where her dad lived. Okay. Only when we got to Sinclair, Wyoming, did she change her mind and she wanted to go to Indianapolis to be with an ex-boyfriend. See, and they said that you guys had stopped at a truck stop and you told her she need, she had to remain in the truck or else... And you came out and saw her on the CB trying to get help, and that's what triggered you to no. murder her. No, I told her I told her to get on the radio in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and find another ride. Okay, okay. Because I was tired of. I told her I'd give her, I'd take her to Fort Collins, but I wasn't going to take her any further. Right. I didn't want to take her any further. 
but she 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 thought about going to Fort Collins to see her dad. Right. But she wanted me to, you know, she wanted me to stay there so she could get back in the truck and I could c- continue to drive with her. Okay. And I told her that the trucking company I was had a snitch policy. I could not keep people in my truck because other drivers would tell on me. Oh, yeah. So I told her, you got to get out of the truck. I can't, I can't have you in the truck all this time. She, she liked what she was getting. She right. was getting the meals and everything was fine, and she was just riding along, and it's right. just, just fun being along with a truck driver. Right. A free ride. <laughs> and, and to clarify and so to everybody, all, all the ride. sex was voluntary with all of your victims. It was voluntary. All it that, wasn't, yeah, right. and I didn't have sex with all of them. Right. right, right, right. Yeah, I just I wanted to clarify that because yeah. sometimes our listeners can get a little confused. Right. Wait a minute. He said sex. Well, there's a difference yeah. between voluntary sex and rape, and there's no raping going on here. Right. No. Okay. No, Every so- time they ask me to take a polygraph test, I've taken a polygraph and passed it. That nothing happened like that. Okay. Now, yeah, I mean, this is... Right. I'm very willing no longer to last. Let's just take, you know, if they want to test me, test me. Okay, so let me ask you this, is what triggered her murder? Her murder was I got tired of her being in the truck with me. Oh, and she wouldn't get out. She wouldn't leave. She wouldn't get out of the truck. Okay. I said, okay. you really need to get out of here. You need to find yourself another ride. And she said, no. I said, I'm going to. And she was impatient. She wanted to get going out of Indianapolis. And I said, my logbook ain't going to allow that to happen. And then after I did, after I did put my hands on, I was like, oh, my God. I got to do this. Because I used my credit card to call her dad. Uh-huh. My my old AT and T credit card number that was seven two eight one seven two zero three nine six twenty two twenty two. That was my credit card number for AT and T back then. And if I called that, if, if they found her body and identified who they backtracked that to me, uh-huh. and that's why I dragged her under the truck okay. to get rid of identification. Okay, gotcha. And why only 12 miles? Well, because uh, when I pulled out on the highway behind a cluster of vehicles, by my truck wouldn't go with their speed. So by the time the next cluster of vehicles caught me was 12 miles. And I pulled off the side of the road, and I, I got rid of the body then. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm taking notes as we're going along, so I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm ignoring you. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, okay, then let me verify that you... The murder occurred in Cheyenne, you said? No. Oh. The murder, the murder happened in a rest area okay. at mile marker 58 or 59 off of Interstate 80 in Nebraska. Oh, okay. The murder happened in Nebraska. It didn't happen in Wyoming. The only reason I got a Wyoming conviction is because of a jailhouse snitch here in, in Oregon that actually was going to testify that the murder happened in Wyoming. Why? Okay. Because Jerry Spence, Jerry Spence, the famous lawyer, lived in Wyoming. Okay. He was trying to make he was trying to make the case so that Jerry Spence would defend me in in Wyoming. And in fact, it wasn't a Wyoming case. Uh huh. Gotcha. And the guy that actually, the guy was a rat was was uh, Ken Montsabraton, also known as Duke, like my dog. And he wrote he, he co-wrote the book. Happy Face Murders by Fogel and Lee. Okay. Yeah, and that was the that was the picture that was the picture on the front of that book was a was a semi hood with a bunch of smiley faces on it. 
Right. No, I I mean, yeah. people are totally exploiting that whole smiley face thing. Cause yeah. I oh, had I heard that you, you had actually put a smiley face on the truck stop wall. No. Okay. Um, just sorry. No, there's, the only smiley face was on a letter sent to the Oregonian in, in, in about May of, of 1994. Right, right. And yeah. see, and let me bring that up, too, is that... According to the some docu series, is that after you wrote the thing on the wall and nothing came about it, you tried to write a letter to the authorities and they ignored it because they already had these two people in jail and they didn't want to reopen the thing. So you what? then wrote a letter to the Oregonian and he tried to take it to the police and they said, "No, we've already got a close case. We don't want to deal with this. It's not true." Well, something along those lines, but. You know, after I wrote on the wall, I didn't think anything of the wall. I thought right. it would just sit there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, had any idea they'd rip the wall down and take it to the courthouse. I had no idea of that. We'll see. It yeah. was just, yeah, I had no idea that was happening. I mean, I wasn't following along, let's say. By the time that wall was ripped down and taken, I was in Alaska working on a processing ship. Right. In, in Dutch Harbor, Alaska, or around Dutch Harbor. Wow. So, no, there's... I did not follow the case at all. Okay. This isn't. It isn't like TV where everybody like like Criminal Minds on TV where the, yeah. the serial killer follows everything in the one news. Minute remaining. One minute remaining. So this yeah. is the end of the call coming up. Okay. Right. Right. No, so that's fine. So we're gonna have to catch you next week, bud. Yeah. Okay. We'll yeah. Do, we'll catch up next week. All, <laughs> all right. right. Thanks, talk to you next week. Thanks again, Keith, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Holy connections, Batman. Right, right. Well, we're still recording on ours. So, yeah, that we got a lot of good information from that. Yeah. I mean, and not just that is... Um, I I like how he's giving us where we can corroborate the information. And that, He's that, not just telling us stuff from his side. Right. That kind of adds to his credibility Credi- a lot yes, for does. me. Exactly. You know, and, and given the fact of that, when him and I have talked in the past, um, he did admit that he messed a lot with the media. So he made up these oh, yeah. gigantic stories. So, you know, going into this, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, it's kind of BS, but he's given us everywhere we can look to verify exactly. exactly what he is saying. See, and that's what to me is also is that's where why I'm believing him. Yeah, I'm, because I yeah. I'm literally going to go corroborate this. Well, I mean, no, I'll work I, this week do. to try to corroborate everything he told me. Right, exactly. You know, because I'm not going to just take his word for it. You know, right? No, I I, I agree. I but agree. it does add credibility. Is like, why would he lie to me and then tell me where I could verify it? Well, and that, that's my <laughs> whole thing too. You know, um, you know, so much information. And uh, just for our listeners, we're going to have Keith back on as we said at the end of the call next week, okay. and. Uh, and I wasn't kidding, guys. I talked to Keith once or twice a week out off the air. Right. Because, you know, I, I want to make sure that we're getting all of our facts straight. Well, and yeah, and not just that. He's in prison. Well, And, and true. And I, I, I know I'm going to get hate mail over this. Oh, probably. I will, too. I actually like Keith as a person. I, like I said before, I do not right. condone harming anybody. Right. But... And that's one thing I made clear on the episode today with him. It's like, I'm not condoning what you did. 
you know. Right, right, but right. What's been done is done. We can't change history. But he's a very personable guy, you know. And we talk yeah. about things besides the murders too, because right. you know, I I drive a semi, right? And he's a former truck driver, so we, you know, we we I swap say, stories. Isn't that like what that. you mostly talk about? By and large, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's like, and like I said, he's in prison. You know, I remember being there, and I was only there for three years, eleven months. Um, but you get thirsty for outside, you know, conversations because your so, world yeah. stop. Literally, your world stops behind those walls, and you don't you don't take into consideration that the world outside of those walls keeps moving. Well, my other reason for talking to him once or twice a week, you know, when, whenever he calls me, I always always make sure I try to answer, is because I, I said this in the very beginning when we first started physically talking to serial killers, mm-hmm. is that I want to know them as a person, because you have the crime. You do. But you have a person behind exactly. that. Exactly. And we're trying to erase the stigma that everybody who commits a crime like this is a monster. Well, and that, that's my whole thing. You know, they, yeah. they seem to think that uh, every serial, most people think that most serial killers are sitting there and they're snarling beasts in a cage and they're yeah. drooling and going, I have to kill well, somebody right yeah, now. Yeah, I was going to say, not the case. don't make me bring up Catherine Ramsland again. <laughs> don't even get me talking about her. And I, I hope she listens. She does. Honestly, I don't think she knows crap. I, I, you know what? For being a um, criminal psychologist, I don't believe she holds any credibility. <laughs> that's just me. That's yeah. a, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, too. I mean, I I see a therapist. They're not a criminal psychologist, but they are more. You know what I mean? Well, it's, I, I see a therapist, and then I'm pretty sure my therapist sees a therapist. Oh, your therapist has to see a therapist as soon as he hangs up from seeing he, you. He, he, he's <laughs> popping. He's popping uh, freaking pills. Going, I, I, I he don't goes, I need one. my Clonopin and <laughs> <laughs> need a couple of Valium because Scott. <laughs> and I got to see my therapist now. <laughs> <laughs> at least with the twitch, I feel so bad for that. I feel bad for Justin. I really do. I know, right? <laughs> no, but yeah. So it's like with my whole thing is. And, and we talked about this, that our mission with having these interviews with Keith is to try to erase the stigma of him being a monster. Right. He did monstrous things. He did. He did. He did things that nobody should do to other people. Correct. Correct. But we like I said, we can't change history, but we can also try to understand him better. Well, plus, you know, I. OK, here's the thing. If everybody was pointing at him. And accusing him of, of things that he actually did. Right. Then I'd be like, you know what? You're right. Let's just get you on. Let's find, kind of figure out you know, what's going on with that. Right. But what we have is we have a lot of BS. A lot of BS. And even from, I mean, even from crime writers themselves. Right. Just things that are sensationalized, yeah. sensationalized just to sell, you know, uh, ad space and, and books. Yeah. And I would rather our listening public... Um, our right. listeners know the actual truth, know right. the crime, know what he did, and right. get rid of the horse poop because right. facts are facts. Well, fiction it, is fiction. I was going to say it bothers me, especially with docu series and stuff, is because people watch one documentary or one docu series and that's the truth. You know, because why would they lie in a documentary? Right, and they think that they know the killer. Yeah, and in reality, they yeah. they don't. You know, we there's a there, there's a couple of killers that we talk to. Yes. And we are getting to know them as as people, yeah, to understand exactly what happened exactly. And I mean, like I said, it's just it's just really 
I'm very intrigued by his version of the events. You know what I mean? Because they're yes. totally different from everything I've seen and read. Well, they're not sensationalized. That's, right. that's the and, thing. And that's just it. It's they're not hyped up to sell anything. Right. Nobody, no, nobody in the background is you know doing some fictitious stuff. Like meanwhile at exactly. the Hall of Justice. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All but, right. Are we um, ready to wrap this episode you know, here up? I am ready to wrap this episode up, and it's been very interesting. It has. It has. All right, boys and girls. Remember, you can send me hate mail now that I said that I'm actually friends with a serial killer at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs, get the full story and no, none, none, none of my BS. Right. And I was going to say, wait a minute, we're just not friends with one serial killer. No. no. We've got a couple of them out there that we're speaking to. We just haven't brought them on the air yet. Right, right. Well, plus, honestly, get, getting to know a person outside of the crime, it takes time, but yeah. it kind of gives you a, a feel of mm-hmm. if they're BSing you exactly. or not. Like, exactly. for example, like if, um, if a dude down the road tells me that he has chickens... I'm not going to know if he's BSing me or if he's not BSing me because I don't know him as a person. I don't know his tells. Right. But if I knew him, let's say his name is Bob because I like using Bob or Bill, um, you know, and he says, hey, I got chickens. I can look at him and go, hmm, I don't think he has chickens. Or, you know what? I think Bob has chickens. That's what yeah. I think. I think he just got some chickens. Well, exactly. <laughs> you get to know him, you know, because of certain, uh, you know, inflections in voice. Oh, uh, Totally. And, and certain characteristics in 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 verbiage and, uh, and 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 speech patterns, right? And you know, also here, I want to also clarify real quick is that if you notice in all of our conversations with Keith, he doesn't seem rushed or like he's embellished, you know, like trying to keep talking to throw you off guard. Correct. So That's, yeah, yeah I, I, I wanted I pay to point that out too. Yeah. All so. right, let's see. We gave the email address. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Yeah. Um, I think that's all. And, and we invite anybody who we spoke about today to contact us to give their site if they want to. Right. And if you have a question that you want us to pose, keep, yeah. you know, hey, by all means, send it to us. Yeah. We, we don't bite. Well, I bite, but I've had all my shots. He's Yeah. Um, he's, he's okay, guys. <laughs> I'm okay now. <laughs> this show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing any part of this on anybody else's podcast or show, you remember this. They are lying, David bastards. bastards. We will see you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>